for the Vault Studio, this is the NFL Podcast, proudly presented by U.S. Sports Gear. Here are your hosts, James Arthur, Chris Bryan, and Richard Garraway. Thank you for joining the Vault Studio. I'm James Arthur, and this is our offensive line special. Um, basically, we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to offensive line play. I have Matt Jones from Lineman Lunch, um, a fantastic Facebook and Twitter page. Um, he's a college coach. I then have uh, Jeff Schwartz, former NFL player for the Carolina Panthers, the uh, Minnesota Vikings, the Kansas City Chiefs, the New York Giants, um, a terrific career. And then to finish it off, I have Duke Mannyweather, who was um, a Charles Bentley guy. He's gone and started his own thing in Texas where he has an elite offensive line academy where he scouts and trains offensive line and also does some consulting with them. He has trained a ton of NFL linemen. So um, hope you're enjoying the show, guys. Enjoy the interviews. Um, just to let you know, the lineman lunch one was was uh, recorded about a month ago. Um, it took me a bit longer to get the other two together. So there might be a few you know things that are a bit out of order, but that's the reason why. Um, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate the listen. Joining me now is a very, very special guest. We've got Matt Jones from Lineman Lunch and the Texas Southern Offensive Line Coach. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Matt. Thanks, James. Appreciate you having me on. No, um, we're all massive fans of, of Lineman Lunch here, especially myself. As as Richie will tell you, I'm a, I'm a bit of a psycho when it comes to offensive line play. It's something I, I'm very fascinated by. Um, but can we start by just a bit of a, a brief history of your playing career? So my, my playing career, I know you guys are based out of Australia. Uh, my playing career, I played from the second grade until the 12th grade. And in college, I was too short to play offensive line. So I woke up with leverage every morning. I'm only five foot nine, So I had to make a decision whether I was going to play Division three non-scholarship football or play rugby for scholarship. So I decided to play uh, rugby in college. So... I was uh, used to the form tackling that they're now teaching today. Uh, in college, I went to Eastern Illinois and played rugby. Uh, so you went to Tony Romo's school, Jimmy Garoppolo? I was, yes, yes. I was a uh, freshman when uh, Tony was a senior. He would have been a fairly popular guy around there, I'd imagine. Sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tony was a good player. And then... Good player, so was Jimmy. Yeah, and then you went on to, to coach. Where So have you you've always been an offensive line coach? I have or tight ends. Okay. Yes. So in some some jobs I've had. Um, well, I started off, I was a student assistant in Eastern Illinois uh, during my undergrad. I uh, kind of forego the rugby career. And uh, my last year or so, I uh, I started just being a student assistant, whatever needed to get done, you know. And then out from there, I coached at a high school outside of Chicago. I'm from Chicago, uh, Lincoln Way Central High School. From there, I went to Lincoln. I went to University of St. Francis in Joliet, Illinois, which is slightly outside of Chicago. I was there for two years as the O-line. I started off as tight ends and went to O-line. From there, I went to Kansas City to Avalon University. I was there for two years as the O-line run game coordinator. Uh, from Kansas City, I went to Philadelphia 
Pennsylvania, went to Villanova University where I was the tight ends coach. From Villanova, I went to Tulane where I was an offensive graduate assistant working with the offensive line. Last year, I was the O-line coach at Jackson State in Jackson, Mississippi. And now I'm the offensive line coach and run game coordinator at Texas Southern in Houston, Texas. Wow, okay. So you've, you've had a, a fair wealth of experience there. Um, coaching, where, where was your favorite? Obviously, Chicago is going to be your favorite place where you grew up, but where's your favorite place <laughs> to coach so far? Uh, I don't know. See, they're all so different. I mean, in the States, it's, it's you know, Philadelphia is the East Coast. It's There's a ton going on. New Orleans was fun as heck, you know, being in Tulane in Louisiana. Uh, it's really, you can't say, because I met my wife in Kansas City. Yep. Um, I, I got my first Division One job in uh, Philadelphia as a tight ends coach, one double A job. You know, I've, New Orleans was, it's a party in New Orleans. Yeah. You know? Mississippi is a beautiful country. Houston's outstanding, tons of stuff to do, very culturally diverse, very awesome. So I, I can't I can't there is no uh there is no favorite. They're all got a special place in my heart. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and then you started a, a site called Lineman Lunch, which is, is definitely one of the favorites for me. How did that come about? <laughs> so when I was at Tulane, you know, I said I was the offensive graduate assistant, so there's another offensive line coach, John McDonnell, who was in charge of the offensive line. Well, in the springtime, when he was on the road recruiting, I'd meet with the line. Well, because Tulane is a very rigorous academic institution, we only had really time to do it around lunchtime, so we had a lunchtime meeting, okay? Well, as the semester went on, and the workload kind of increased, we didn't get a chance to meet as much as we could. So I would send them videos just through our little group chat, you know. So a couple of the uh, guys asked me to put them online so they can go and resource them at their leisure, you know, so it's not just on their phone. It was they can find it. So it became the lineman lunch just because we had a lunchtime meeting every day. We had a, about a noon meeting uh, during the spring every day just, Talking football, talking line play. So. Yeah, and that's that's developed into quite a quite a nice little Facebook site. And you um you have Jeff Schwartz, who was a former New York Giants offensive lineman, who does scheming with Schwartz, and they're, they're one of my favorite videos. Just seeing the way things are supposed to be blocked. Is that just a, a mutual friendship, or did you play with him or coach him? No, I just Jeff and I met uh, similar to you and I, James, just through social media. Um, and we have mutual friends, um, so you know he uh, he decided he wanted to do the scheme with shorts, and I said let's put it on Lime and Lunch, and he was all for it. Um, I think even in the first video he wore a Lime and Lunch T-shirt, you know. So Jeff's just you're gonna find in this in this business when it comes to offensive line play, guys are really just good-hearted people that genuinely care. So Jeff's one of those people. So he just he loves football. He's you know he's a pro. Uh, his brother Mitch is still playing. You know, he he just loves football, so that's how our our friendship kind of developed, just through the love of offensive line play. It certainly takes a um, very certain person to love offensive line play, and being one of them, you have to be a little bit crazy and very meticulous about things. Because as I said, you, your foot being an inch out of place can be all the difference in a play, and you got to be very very certain and enjoy it to to be that meticulous about something. Sure. 
I, I 100% agree. You got to be a little crazy. Yeah, exactly. No one, when you grow up on the on, uh, you know, when you grow up and you're at the schoolyard and you're playing, you know, everyone wants to throw the ball and catch the ball and look good in front of the girls. Nobody wants to go block the jungle gym. You know, <laughs> uh, that's what we do. So you got to be a little different. You know. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Look, what we'll do is we'll, we'll get into a few questions. I've got some of my own, and we've um we've got some off some offensive linemen from Australia on Facebook. Um, nothing too heavy hitting. It's all pretty much scheme based. Is that, is that all right with you? Sure. Yeah, that's fine. Let's go. Beautiful. We'll start with um a few a few questions have been asked. Um, but what's the ideal size for positions along the offensive line, starting from tackle guard center? Oh, I I think it's all relative. Uh, to the level you're playing, of course, bigger is better. You know, big people beat up little people. Yep. Um, but size is a kind of misnomer. Height, you don't block anyone with the top of your head, okay? Six foot eight may seem great, but you block them with the length of your arms. Yep. So it, it, we had a tackle at Villanova, Ben Ijelano, who's playing uh, in the NFL. As a D-line, isn't he? Pardon? Is he a defensive lineman? He's an offensive lineman. Okay. Yep. Okay. But he was only about six three and a half. I didn't have an opportunity to coach him. Mark Ferrante, the head coach there, who was the offensive line coach at the time, um, he coached Ben. Well, Ben, you know, six foot three as a tackle doesn't seem all that long, but Ben has enormously large and long arms. You block people with your thumbs. You block people with your palms. You block people in pass protection far away from your body. So the longer the arms you have, that's more important than the ideal size. Body types are different. You'll notice that there's a lot of bad body athletes in the offensive line. So if you say, if you hardline it and go, okay, a tackle needs to be six foot five, 305 pounds or greater, well, you've now limited to a guy that maybe can move his feet better than a just a big, giant person, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So I wouldn't say – I'd say it's the ability of the player more than his physical makeup in terms of he still has to be long. He still has to be powerful and explosive. You wouldn't have a guy like myself, five foot nine, playing center in the NFL, but – you have to have a guy that plays long and plays powerful and plays explosive. So I don't put exact numbers on the positions. I think about length of arms and how far you can keep a defender from you. Yep, absolutely. Um, the next question is is from Oakley off Facebook, and, and he asked, which offensive line position do you think has the most ability to impact a game and why? Well, you're going to love this one, James, because in the pre-show you told me you played center. I, it's the center position. The center's got to get all five guys on board, okay? Um, you could say it's the left tackle. You could say if you're a pulling team and you're going to pull strong to the right side, it'd be the left guard, whatever. It is. The center has to make sure all five, six, seven, eight guys, whether it be your tight ends, your fullbacks, are all on the same page. So just the, the orchestrator, the director of traffic, the guy that's going to pronounce and define where we're going to, how we're targeting it, that's the key, to make five guys play as one. If you have a center that doesn't have a voice, that doesn't say, hey, guys, we got to get going, hey, guys, that's the point, that's the mic, we're in trouble. Yeah, exactly, and and the quarterbacks like to pretend that it's them that do all that sort of stuff, but us offensive line guys all know it's the center. 
Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, the next question is, it's, it's a bit of a, a scheme one. Um, with the movement towards passing game in, in a college system, are offensive linemen becoming less effective in the running game? I don't. I, I think that's a misnomer. I think that's all who's coaching you guys. Um, I understand, you know, there's been a couple articles that came out that talks about the fundamentals of offensive line play in terms of uh, pro, college to pros. I think the duration of the block has changed. In the NFL, I think you have to maintain and sustain the block longer in a spread system, and there's various differences of the spread. You have your drop back, you know, throw it all over the all over the field, Texas Tech, Mike Leach kind of spread, or you have your Oregon spread that ran the ball very good, that just got more defenders outside of the box and got matchups and numbers. So in terms of, you know, development of that, I think it's all on how you're coaching it. You got to coach the duration of the. You got to coach the strain and the finish and driving a guy to the ground and finishing your block, not necessarily run up to the next you know line of scrimmage and snap the ball. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Now with the the hurry up offenses, a lot of guys. Okay, block the ball past you. All right, run to the next spot. So you never get that finish part, you know, of burying a guy or sustaining that block longer and maintaining that block and working your hips and working your hands. Or, or call that, that's that crushing combo part. block just doesn't exist anymore because guys are trying to fold so quickly to that, that linebacker. Sure. Well, uh, no, I mean, they still have. And it all depends on what schemes you're running and what, you know, how you're coaching it. There's some guys that want a hat on a hay. Even if, say, you're running the inside zone play, some guys just want to get our six versus their six, our seven versus their seven, just get a body on a body. Yeah. Now, there's some that says, don't worry about the second level. Block the first level first. Stay on the double team until the linebacker presents himself. Yeah, Well, exactly. those are two different philosophies, and you can see that in how their guys play. Yeah, exactly. And, and I guess another question for us is, what's, what's your preference in a running style? What kind of a scheme do you like, a zone or a man? Do you like half slide in pass protection, or do you like to get big on big? <laughs> That's a lot of stuff. Well, I would definitely say I'm an in-between-the-tackles guy. Yep. I think as linemen, uh, it's easier for us to work in a, a you know, kind of a four-yard box instead of a 10-yard box. You'd start getting us running. Granted, we still have to be athletes, and I'm not afraid of that. But the closer I can have that defender I got a block to me, I think the better it is. So the power, the inside zone, the tight zone, stuff that's going to hit in between the tackles, those are a little more line-friendly in terms of I got to block the guy and not chase a guy, Okay. You start getting in the perimeter runs, the uh, pin and pulls, the outside zones. Now you're talking about athleticism. If you have the guys that do it, those are great schemes, but you got to have linemen that can run. You, know, you can't have just big lumbering guys. Um, in pass protection, I think uh, it takes all 11 guys. I'm not afraid of a five-man protection, six-man protection, seven-man protection, as long as everyone's on the same page. That's a receiver running the correct depth of a route. That's the quarterback understanding who we have and who he has to take care of with his hots and with his throws. That's the running back understanding that he is just like an offensive lineman, got to protect his ass off. So half slide, half man is kind of uh, prototypical of it, you know, of, of modern drop back. 
Um, full slides, you're asking your tailback to stay in, so you lose a pass receiver. Um, those aren't those have merit to certain situations. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that all the time, uh, just to be able to get him out. If they're if simple math, if they're only rushing three, well let's not have the tailback block a defensive end that's bigger than him. Let's have a tackle block a defensive end that you know he's he's more in tune the block and you have five to block three and the tailback can release. Yeah, okay. So it's all about just making sure everyone's on the same page no matter what sort of scheme you're running. Sure, yeah. yeah. And I've got, a, I've got a question from John off Facebook. What's the best way to teach pass pro landmarks? For example, aligning outside knee to crutch or outside eye to inside eye? I would say knee to crutch. That's, that's the most strongest position you could be. Now, the wider he is... You know, uh, it might be inside eye. To, you know, to outside eye, or your your outside eye is an offensive lineman to his inside eye. The wider he is, you know, you don't have to in pass protection punch a guy out of his shoes and knock him ten feet into the Gatorade. You just got to divert him off his path to the quarterback. Yeah, you just... got to make him take three, five, ten more steps to get there. Well, I'll, you don't I'll... have to punch him and kill him. So. Um, if a guy is tighter to you, then I think need a crotch. Definitely not giving an inside move up is best. But that depends on if you're on a man side or a slide side and how you set a guy. Yeah, okay. I always like to tell my guys to just be between the defender and the ball, whoever's got the ball at all times. And if you're doing that, you, you give your guys a chance. Sure, yeah. Um, and the the last question, <coughs> sorry, the last question we'll go to is um, a lot of coaches in Australia and <coughs> myself included have a tough time producing warm ups for offensive line that you know are a little bit enjoyable but also help with technique. What, what's kind of your advice for for warm ups? For warm ups, I, I think it's getting in a stance, getting loose, getting your hips. I think there's there's certain things that you want to get warm as an offensive lineman. Okay. You can do the high knees and your traditional warm-up that you do as a whole unit, as every team, but I think you really want to focus on getting your shoulders warm and getting your knees and hips warm. You know, you can't be stiff-legged. You can't be unable to bend and load your hips. So whether it's getting in a stance and just wagging your tail, you know, just kind of bending left and right and being, you know, kind of getting warm there, whether it be a, a punch drill, just getting your shoulders punched, you're not, you know, trying to crush a bag or crush a, a, a defender. You're just trying to, you know, work your arms forward and kind of get get your elbows and your shoulders loose. Anything that can kind of get your shoulders, hips, and knees loose prior to the warm-up, I think, is best for an alignment. Yeah, okay. And, and do you prefer individual or is it? would you prefer to get all the guys together? Well, when we, when we get out there in pre-practice, I'll get the line and we'll do a couple drills. We'll do a deal called the run gauntlet, which would be basically all our steps on air out of a stance. You know, it's kind of, uh, you know, we'll take a wide zone step. We'll take a tight zone step. We'll take a down block. We'll do all that on air. And there's boards and kind of landmarks for guys to go. And we'll do it left and right, you know. And that kind of just gets a guy moving his feet running off the ball, he's not blocking anybody, so you're still getting the body warm. And then we'll do a couple punch drills. So we'll do that prior to the team stretch and the team warm-up because we do that as a collective. 
Okay. All right. Oh, beautiful. So they'll they'll do that with our strength and conditioning program. And the, I guess the, the last thing I wanted to ask is if in Australia, we, we get a lot of guys that come down to play football at a club level that, you know, aren't the most athletic and they usually get put on the offensive line. How do, sure. you, how do you deal with a guy that may not have the best flexibility to play offensive line and get in a three-point stance and whatnot? Is, is there a trick to that? I'm sure you probably don't see it as much in America, but we have a ton of guys with, with bad flexibility. Is there a way to get around that? Well, like anything, here's the thing. You're playing the position, James, and the people that are listening to this podcast. You're playing a position. You're the only position on all of sports where your back is to the ball. Okay? So everything that you learn, everything that you are asked to do is learned. There is no, um, this is easy. This is how you catch a ball, two hands. Well, your punch is different than a boxer's punch. It's different than, um, uh, it's something that's learned. Pass setting, going backwards and still being powerful. That is, your feet are in front of your body. Your body anatomically wants to go forward. So everything that you do needs to be trained. I say that to say this, if you are not flexible, you need to train flexibility, whether it's yoga, whether it's whatever you need to do, extra stretching, you need to train and get better at your weaknesses. If your pass set is weak, you need to train that. If you can't touch your toes because you're unflexible, you need to train that. So it's it's not something that's going to come overnight, but as long as you're working at it, I think you're in the, on the best course. And the thing is, you can't just play line and think, okay, being stiff is okay. Well, I think a lot of guys think, especially in the Australian level, that if you're a bigger guy and you know maybe a fatter guy, that you're just going to be good at offensive line. I think people have this and you know this you know this thought that. You just have to be a big fat guy to get in the way. But, you know, offensive linemen, especially at the college and, and the pro levels, are some of the greatest athletes you'll ever find. No doubt about it. Um, Freak athletes. Yeah, to, to be sure. that big and, and run the way they the, do. They're in the quote-unquote, a lot of them are in the bad body athlete category. Exactly. If you looked at them walking on the street, you go, oh, that guy doesn't look, look athletic. And then you can watch them dunk a basketball or power clean 400 pounds. You know, you go, holy cow. Run a, run a five-second 40. Um, yeah, there's there's some incredible athletes at offensive line. Look, that, 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 that's all we have for today, Matt. And thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Talking Offensive Line. James, pleasure to be on the vault, man. This is awesome. Um, uh, hopefully one day uh, I can get down to Australia, come down there and, and uh, hang out with you guys in person. Uh, you know, I, I'm... I've been all over the the states coaching football, but yeah, I, I think what you guys are doing is great. And thanks so much for uh, being fans of Lineman Lunch. You know, I appreciate it. And, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, spreading the O line gospel. Thanks, Matt. Joining us now, we have a very special guest, Jeff Schwartz, former NFL lineman. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Now, we'll get straight into it. Um, you played 10 years in the NFL or 11 years, was it? Uh, only eight. Only eight. eight. Years. Okay. So, 
Wikipedia has it wrong. They have you at 11 years in the NFL. Swiss, they which, do? Yeah, which is a bit wow. strange. But um, you played college at, at one of my favorite schools, Oregon. Um, just, just quickly, what was your experience like as a, as a college player? Well, it was a lot of fun at Oregon. You know, football there is, is intense. It's not the South. And we got really good by the time I left. We had Chip Kelly was there my senior year. Uh, it was his first year. And it was a lot of fun. You know, they, the Nike deal is real. It's fun to be around um, that culture. And I really enjoyed it. Um, they, take, they take good care of us even now. So uh, I am a big fan of the Oregon football program. Yeah, and they have the coolest uniforms in football. We do, we and we have to have that type of stuff because we don't have a big recruiting base in in the state of Oregon. So you have to kind of attract players from elsewhere. Now with a new head coach and Willie Taggart, we've been able to uh, recruit a lot of players outside of the um, West Coast area, which is nice. Yeah, okay. So you, you play four years at, at college, I believe? Yes. And started... Most of your your last three years there, you were you were a starter pretty much the whole time. Um, yes. And then going into the draft, you're picked up in the seventh round by Carolina Panthers. Explain the the experience of the draft because no one in Australia has ever had that sort of experience. What what was that like? Yeah. So my mine was interesting. So now the draft is obviously three days. It was two when I was going through the process and. The first two days was two rounds, and the last day was five rounds. And I figured I'd go anywhere between the fourth and sixth round. And that was about where I should have gone. Um, and that was fair and it was honest assessment of where I should have gone. And the first day, so the first two rounds, there were eight offensive tackles taken in the first round, in the first two two rounds. And I thought to myself, well, look, I'm I'm coming up next. I'm between 10 and 15 best tackles. Uh, I'm going to watch the draft. They tell you not to watch a draft, and this is the reason why. So I wake up at 6 a.m. on the West Coast in Los Angeles, put on the draft. Third round goes by. Fourth round goes by. Fifth round starts. I start getting a couple phone calls like, hey, we might draft you. Doesn't happen. Sixth round rolls by. We get in the seventh round, and I get a call from the Panthers, pick 241, so close to the end. I think it was 10 picks to the end or 11 picks to the end. And they said to me, how do you feel about being drafted? And at this point, I had heard from other teams about being an undrafted free agent if I did not get drafted to come to their team and and obviously play an undrafted, on an undrafted contract. So when they called me and said, how do you feel about getting drafted? I said, at this point, I don't even care. <laughs> and um, then they told me that they were drafting me. Of course, I was elated. I was excited. It's once in a lifetime opportunity. But my draft day was a lot different than a lot of players because I kind of overestimated where I where I thought I would go I think and it made for a very long day yeah and I guess at that point when you're a seventh round pick or or undrafted do you think going undrafted might be better because you'll have more choice over where you get to go well that's definitely one scenario one uh one thought process you know being undrafted guy the teams have even less of a obligation to you they feel like they have a less of an obligation to you and it's yeah. tough to make the team even when you are a late round draft pick but when you're undrafted it's almost worse um you know you you start out kind of behind the eight ball so i was glad in the end that i did get drafted because uh, you know the panthers i think felt not an obligation to keep me but i was one of their guys they ended up drafting me so they they feel i think more um 
they feel more passionate about keeping me on the roster. You know, I was on practice squad, but just in general, keeping me versus letting me go because they did not draft me. Yeah, exactly. And, and NFL teams tend to value draft picks so much higher than anything else. It's it's such a strange trend in, in for my mind. Yeah, and and teams value um, them too much. I think. Uh, yeah. I think it's because it's it's cheap labor. It's um, it's easy to uh, to keep a guy around when you know that what their contract's going to be. Uh, coaches always think that they they can coach guys up, and I think that that, that becomes an issue. Um, it's nice to see at times when teams do decide, hey, look, we, we've had enough of this. Uh, we're going to move on. You saw what the Bucks did with Aguayo. They just said, hey, look, we made a mistake, and, and we're moving on. Yeah, they, as uh, as the GM said, they pulled the, pulled the Band-Aid off and just moved on from it. Yeah, um, exactly. So have to you, do it. You're at the Panthers for three seasons. Your first year, you're on the practice squad. What was it like that that first process actually being cut and then being put on the practice squad? Was it tough to to accept that? Because I imagine in your football career, you'd never been cut before. No, it wasn't tough to um, accept it. I knew it was happening. They told me what was happening. Um, you know, I was. Um, it was still a little surprising when it did happen. Uh, you know, I felt the time that I was ready to play and I was not ready to play. It ended up being the best thing that, that could have happened for me. Um, uh, I didn't really regret it, but I was a, probably a little ticked off at first, but then I realized that I needed that whole year. Looking back on it, I was glad I had that year to um, just uh, get my feet under me in the NFL. It's a big jump from college to NFL, and it's an even bigger jump when you go from the offense we had, the spread offense at Oregon, to playing an NFL offense. Yeah, exactly. And you, you, so you're, you're on the practice squad that first year. Then you played all 16 games in 2009. And 2010, you started all 16 games. Yes. Um, you then go into free agency. You sign with the Minnesota Vikings. And you're a part of arguably one of the best rushing seasons in NFL history. Well, n- arguably, it, it is one of the best rushing seasons where Adrian Peterson fell nine yards short of the season record. What was it like blocking for a guy like Adrian Peterson? Oh man, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, he's in he's a heck of a runner, man. Um, and I played luckily with him, who's going to make the Hall of Fame with Jamal Charles of the now Denver Broncos, but with the Chiefs. And if he can stay healthy, he will be a Hall of Famer. He has the highest yards per carry in NFL history, 5.5, which you wouldn't expect from a guy who's not very large. Um, I've just been very, very blessed, honestly, to play with those guys. And Adrian is just a freak show. I mean, I, I, there's no other way to put it, man. I just what, what he can do is so much different than anyone else. And uh, it was such an honor you know, to play with him and, and help him um, you know, become the player you know, that he was. I, you know, I think offensive line, we take a lot of pride in that, right? We don't have a lot to um, – we don't have a lot to, to to pat ourselves on the back about, uh, at least publicly, and we can pat ourselves on the back for getting Adrian 2,000 yards. Yeah, exactly. And 2,000 yards just doesn't come around very often for an offensive line to be blocking for, for one guy in particular. So is that something for, till the end of time you can always tell people, yeah, I was, I was a starting guard and tackle the year that Adrian Peterson had 2,000 yards, and that's a pretty cool fact because, as you said, O-line, we don't have a lot to – to talk about or to, or to boast about. You can only boast about the running back stats, really. Exactly. And so I was, uh, it was pretty, uh, it's pretty awesome that that ended up happening. Yeah. And then, as you said, you, you, head, you headed to Kansas City for a year, um, blocked for Jamal Charles. And 
was would you consider this your breakout year? Pro Football Focus rated you as one of the as the highest graded offensive linemen. Um, what what was that year like? Did you feel that was kind of your breakout? Yeah. So yeah, I, you mentioned in 2009 I started three games. 2010 I put every snap, and then I got hurt in 2011, so I didn't yeah. play in 2011. I get to Minnesota. I then have another surgery before the season started. So I started out really slow that year. I didn't play for the first four games. Uh, and I worked kind of my, my, my way back into things. And so 2013, when I get to Kansas City, that was my first healthy season since I was, you know, 23 years old. And so I'm now 27 and I'm, you know, in the best shape of my life. I'm kind of in that in that area where you're going to be in your prime. And you and understand I went the to game a, team a lot that, better. What you understand the blocking schemes? Yeah, you've been in the well, systems. I also just you just I, I just found the the place that was best for me. I liked the the program uh, that Andy Reid has, like the offensive line coach. Everything just worked out really well for me that year. Yeah, okay. And you, again, you have a great year that year. Then then you're a free agent. What was that process like? Being you were pretty much for offensive lineman. You were the bell of the ball that year in free agency. What's that like? A, a teams? Did everyone come after you? Was it? Um, was it fun negotiating with all these teams? Well, uh, it was an interesting time for me because I got married the day that free agency started, that tampering period, that little window where you can start negotiating. So in the morning of my wedding, my agent was over uh, our house and we were having a, a little brunch for out-of-town guests and we sat off to the side at, at 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific time and we got a bunch of calls from teams and we kind of decided – uh, you know, kind of where to rank them. And I think we always had the Giants as one of those teams where I thought it would be a really fun to play. And my agent agreed. And and so as the night, as the day went on, I'm getting ready for the wedding and he's getting ready uh, to, to get me a contract. And so the wedding is over. Uh, we're at the reception. I, it was funny. The, the first person I looked for after the reception was Derek, my agent. And uh, he just said, we're good. And he just gave me a wink. And I kind of figured we, we had an idea of what, of what we were going to, um, asked for and so i knew what when he said we're good what that number was going to be yeah and then that was new york an attractive place due to the city and all that sort of stuff of course and look the winning i mean you know at that point in my career of course i wanted to get paid it was basically my first big opportunity to get a, a big paycheck in the nfl but it was new york and new york had won a lot uh with tom coughlin in seven and eleven and it was a place that I thought I could really help them win again. And it, it, that really drew me to the Giants. And they, they had a great offensive line for many years. Um, and so it was, it was a no-brainer for me. And then you, you're there for only two seasons. You signed the four-year contract. And you're there for only two years. And injuries started to take over. Your first year, you broke your toe in the preseason, missed the first 11 weeks. What was that like you know, mentally coming in as a free agent, as, as, a, as a highly paid free agent and one they're expecting to, to ch help change the team and make it better and then to have an injury like that. that. That must be tough. Oh, of course it's tough, especially when you send that big contract. And, I, and I, I'm one of those guys who was, felt very honored to have that contract and I wanted, to, I wanted to, to live up to that deal. And when you get injured in the preseason like that and especially dislocated big toe, which is very rare – uh, our team doctor had never seen it before. It's such a freak injury, and I worked my way back. And that, you know, that happens, right? One freak injury, and and you're good with it. But then, you know, I play one game against the Cowboys. It was the game Odell made that made that crazy catch. Yep. And then, and then, you know, one one game later in the in the middle of the second quarter, I break my leg again. 
Uh, well, well, not again. The first time I break my leg, fractures just hit my ankle. And, uh, you know, that's devastating because you worked all the way back to get back and then you break your leg. And that one, that was tough. Um, and that was worse than anything else. I felt like I let the team down because, you know, it was tough to rehab that injury and get back to play even the following season as well. Yeah. And then you said you came back the next season and things were going well. You played the first 12 games, but in the 12, in the week 12 game, um, you broke your leg against the Washington Redskins. At, at this point, what's because I, I I can't imagine what's that like, what that's like mentally <laughs> to just have these injuries that keep because b- breaking your leg isn't a, a common injury in the NFL. That that's a pretty unlucky thing to happen. Yeah, I was just really upset. Quite honestly, um, you know, the, the Giants had moved me to a different position. Um, for that game and they moved me to left guard and I just, I couldn't feel the pile coming from behind me. I got hit above my plate that was in my ankle. Uh, it broke my leg again. I just was furious, man, because I, you know, like I said, I, I you rehab all the way back. Um, I was actually starting to feel better. I had another problem during the year. Uh, I played through it. I got an injection. I felt really good and we were in a playoff hunt and just to be injured again, I knew that that was probably my time was done in New York too. And you know, I'm a 340 pound guy with two broken legs um, you know that's uh, that's hard to come back from. Yeah, and, and it, it was over. You you were then released by the the Giants in the off season. Um, you headed to Detroit for a one year contract. At, at this point, was your body starting to struggle after you know so many injuries? Yes, and I turned thirty. Thirty is the magic age in the NFL. Yeah, I, I wanted one more year. Um, I didn't want to go out being hurt. I didn't want to be that guy, but. You know, it just it didn't happen. Detroit um, couldn't move as well. You know, I, I the motivation was still there to play, but I have my family back home, and it just it didn't work out. And it's okay. I was that was gonna be my last year anyway, so I'm okay with the career I had. And Detroit treated me fairly, and I enjoyed my time there. And that's um, you know, that's what happens in the NFL. Yeah, and, and there's I guess eight, eight years in the NFL. I think the average is about two point six. So at that point, you'd have to feel pretty blessed and, and lucky that you'd played for I so did. long. I did. I was very, um, I'm very proud of my career being a seventh round draft pick. I had, I had six surgeries in the NFL and I had a, um, and I had a, a dislocated toe. So seven major injuries and played eight years. That's very rare for a seventh round draft pick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess when you were drafted, probably a lot of people weren't giving you much of a shot to, to play for very long. No. So it's an, an incredible okay. achievement. Um, yes. and you also have, have a brother, Mitchell, who is currently playing in the NFL. He's at the Kansas City Chiefs. What, what's that relationship like, having having two brothers in the same, you know, who, who are playing um, both in the NFL? Must be a pretty good family dinner, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's really cool because we can talk to each other about, you know, the issues that we have playing. And obviously, I'm not playing now, but Mitch still talks to me about things that happen. I watch his games and send him, you know, little breakdowns. And he knows it already. And nothing I tell him is really anything new to him. But I might find things here and there that that he overlooked. And um, it's just, uh, it's really fun. You know, we're the first Jewish brothers in the NFL since 1923. And um, we have a book, Eat My Schwartz, uh, which is uh, kind of a unique look at, at the way um, we were we were raised and and with the faith and being in the NFL and you know it's just, it's it's really cool. And is, has that book been released yet? Because I've been looking yeah, for it. It has it's been on Amazon. Amazon.com. Okay, it's, it's as Amazon's a bit more difficult in Australia, so I'll um I'll do my best because I, I w- would love to have a read of that. Um, a couple of quick questions just just based on your NFL career. Who was the best defensive lineman that you, you went up against? 
Julius Peppers. Yep. No, no doubt in your mind? No, I practiced against him for years. I played against him as well. Um, the combination of his size and strength is almost unmatched. He he's very good. <laughs> yeah, and what about the the best coach you had? Who, who did you, offensive line or head coach? Uh, Doesn't have to be anything particular. Your, well, your best coach. you know, it's kind of hard because I, I think head coaches all have their different styles. Um, I like Coughlin. I like Andy Reid. I like John Fox. Um, you know, those are the three I play with the longest. Um, you know, my brother plays with Andy Reid now, but you know, Tom Coughlin very special you know he'll be a hall of famer one day and um i really enjoy playing playing with him and hopefully he can help turn that um jaguars franchise around and, and get it yeah. going in the right it direction might be, it, might, it might take a little bit of time but we'll see if he can do it he'd, he'd be a tough boss i imagine i don't think he'd take much crap coglin he does not <laughs> yeah. he does not um and and finally what what are you up to now what, what's post nfl career what's your plan do you want to coach i, I know you're you're very active on social media which I I enjoy very much. Um, what's what's the plans now in in retirement? I uh, just do a lot of media. You can follow me on, on Twitter at Jeff Schwartz, Jeff with a G. And you know, I just um, I tweet a lot. I write. I do radio. I do TV. Um, and you know, all my things kind of go through my Twitter. And um, I like talking about football. You know, I enjoy uh, sharing the game and and helping teach uh, the, this wonderful game. And you've been doing um, it's called scheming with Schwartz, which. I saw it on Lineman Lunch for the first time. I had Matt on as well, and um, I thoroughly enjoy them. You obviously have a real passion for the the way things are meant to be blocked and, and yes. how that's supposed to happen. Is, is that going to lead to coaching, or do you no. feel you just like talking about it? No, I'm not coaching. I, I like being at home with my family, and coaching is a grind. And while I think I would be good at it, I just it ain't happening. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Hey, there's nothing, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Um, yeah. Well, Jeff... Thank you very much for joining us today. It, it, we really appreciate it. And um, good luck with everything in the future. All your social media will definitely be paying attention. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Take care. Joining us now, we have Duke Mannyweather, an offensive line scouting and development consultant in the U.S. Duke, thank you very much for joining us. James, thanks for having me. Happy to be on. Um, we'll start just with a bit of a, a brief history of your of your football career. Um, you did play in the NFL. Just just a little bit of um, information on how it all started. Actually, I did not play in the NFL. I played arena football, but um, I actually had a pretty interesting. Uh, route, uh, you know, being able to play football in terms of I was an undersized offensive lineman my entire life, you know, I'm right at the six foot mark. So what I did is I knew that from a young age, the things that I can control was how hard I trained and worked and then how hard that I worked to perfect uh, my technique. So I was a student of the game. I knew my assignments. I knew that my technique was going to be flawless and I knew that I can absolutely be stronger and more explosive than everybody. So I really took that to heart, uh, probably starting in my sophomore year in high school, all the way through my collegiate career at Humboldt State University, and even uh, my my stint in the Arena Football League. Uh, from that, uh, it became a passion of mine very early to know that I wanted to evaluate offensive linemen, and and also uh, I had an eye to, to, to help 
enhanced skill sets and, and things of that nature. So between the strength and conditioning background and then what I actually did on the field, it was like a perfect marriage uh, of the two. And I really knew and it was a, it became a passion of mine, I think, because oftentimes I was passed over or looked over because that I wasn't that six, three and above guy even though I checked every other box in the, in the sense and I beat out people. Um, so I, I was very passionate about getting O-line evaluations right. And so your, your program, what, does it, what kind of age groups are you dealing with? You know what? I have been fortunate enough um, where mostly I work with elite level offensive linemen that are in the NFL. And I do work with a few uh, college players. Um, around their schedule the college landscape is a little different the college players don't have as much downtime as the nfl players because there's a full off-season program for college football and then there's a full you know summer program most at most of these uh big time schools so i don't get to work with college that that much um but mostly i work with the elite level offensive linemen in the spring and uh you know the four weeks in the spring or five weeks in the spring that the guys train and then you know, the, the four to five weeks in the summer that they train before they hit uh, training camp. Um, when I do have free time, which is a rarity, I do work with uh, a select few high school offensive linemen when I can. And, uh, you know, that, that is absolutely a joy to do. And, but it also brings its challenges because um, you go from working with these college guys and these professional guys, and then you you kind of back it back a little bit and work with these guys who are 13, 14, 15, and 16 that are, are you know, starting the maturation process, not only as a player, but as a young, a young adult, a young male. And so, you know, sometimes there's the maturity issue. Sometimes there's the attention span and don't get me wrong. The guys work hard and they're very receptive to the coaching, but it's a little different. What I've noticed is that when you work with these college guys that are, you know, going to be draft picks and then when you work with these elite guys you know i work with a lot of pro bowlers and all pros that the attention to detail and the intent and intensity in their workouts are there from start to finish you know you can tell these pro guys and even a lot of these elite college guys what to do one time how to cue them and they've got it they're picking it up versus a lot of the high school guys you have to explain to them over and over again. And then some of them learn a little bit differently. So you have to find unique ways to cue them. That way they get it. Yeah. And I've, I've noticed your, your latest video, you're working with, with Donald Penn, who's had an amazing career and one of the yeah. top offensive linemen in the NFL last year. Um, I actually had him in, in my all-pro team last year. I thought he played that well for the Raiders. Um, really any, well. Any chance you can, get him, you can get him to get out of his holdout and get back to training camp? <laughs> I don't have that type of power because I don't possess those greenbacks in the final say. But I, what I will tell you is that uh, Donald Penn is a consummate professional. Um, you know, he's a guy who has really taken pride into, you know, being an older guy who has really uh, come from almost nothing. I mean, he was undrafted in 2006, has almost 160 starts, two Pro Bowls, two All Pros, um, and just he's a guy that he. He has that chip on his shoulder still. He feels like that he's never gotten respect his entire career, so he carries that with him. That's when you see the nastiness on the field, and he carries that in to his workouts. I mean, again, consummate professional who 
from start to finish is focused and understand what he needs to do to 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 uh, to keep at that elite level. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's 34 years old, and you know he's in great shape right now. He's about 325 pounds, 330, and just uh, he's very aware what needs to be done uh, to to keep his gameplay at that elite level. Which I mean, he's obviously a top you know, seven or 10 left tackle in the league and clearly wants to be compensated uh, for it, uh, no matter, you know, what his age is. Always, um, he certainly deserves to be paid like a, a top 10 offensive lineman in the league. So I, I hope he gets that contract done. He's, he's one of my favorites. Um, what's the, when guys come to you, so you're based in, in Texas, when guys come to you, do oh. they come wanting help with, technique or is it strength or what what's the main thing you get from you know guys who are obviously playing in the nfl these guys their bodies are at at peak form is it more of a a technique thing or do you work on lifting and all that sort of stuff as well you know that's a very interesting question and here's my answer to you most of the technique inefficiencies that some of these guys have stem from imbalances or weaknesses uh you know anatomically so my goal is, is when I look at film and evaluate film, I see, I don't just see that a guy missed a backside cutoff and, uh, you know, he, because he didn't have the footwork. I look at how he missed the block. Was it because he couldn't get his play side hip open and drive off the back leg? Was it because his eyes were in the wrong place? So knowing why a guy got beat, let you know how to fix it and what to implement. And so I take that to heart. And I know that, for instance, I just gave the example of the backside cutoff. If I'm looking at all these things and I'm seeing a guy who has issues opening the play side hip and then driving off the backside foot, I know that immediately we've got to work on lower body mobility, specifically hip mobility. Uh, We have to work on ankle and calf mobility. Okay. And then we have to make sure that he's strong through the posterior chain. And we also need to make sure that we're developing the adductors in which that he can drive, you know, through his insteps and into the opposite direction. So there is science behind this, which brings in my background of uh, exercise science and kinesiology in which I went to school for and possessed certifications for. So it's not just a magic wand. There is definitely a method to the madness in which I evaluate and then come up per se with a, a prescription to help, uh, you know, fix some of these imbalances. And you, you're heavily involved with lineman lunch with, with Matt Jones there. Is that something that did you guys play together at any point or was it a, just a, a relationship created by social media? Exactly. It was a relationship created by social media. Um, you know, um, Matt Jones put out a lot of good things in his social media network. And really what ended up happening is uh, not to take credit for it, but I was one of the first people on social media to, to film all online stuff. And that started when I was the director of uh, player personnel and performance coach at LaCharles Bentley offensive line performance. My, my go, my job there was to evaluate every high, I mean, every college, and professional offensive linemen and then you know begin to the guys that we liked and we felt would be a good fit for o-line performance i would reach out to them and say hey listen this is what we're seeing on your film 
you're struggling here. These are your strengths. These are your weaknesses. We feel like we can help you fix those. And so that was kind of my job. And then again, when we got guys into the building, I was there, you know, in the line of fire, helping to train these guys. But, you know, one of the big things that I did is I would start to record clips of offensive linemen doing things right because so many there's so much negativity now it's not because we've got a uh, we've got a pretty good core of guys starting to change that and shine the light on good offensive line play but at first all you saw was a defensive lineman beating the offensive line so what I started doing is highlighting even if it was a tackle for a loss for some other reason maybe there's a huge front side deuce, deuce block that, you know, uh, a guard and tackle would just blowing up a deep tackle and put him in the lap of a linebacker. That that often gets overlooked because of the negative outcome of the play. You know, there's times where offensive linemen have things blocked up and maybe the running back missed a read or maybe a tight end didn't get a backside cutoff or maybe a receiver didn't get a crack and it makes the play fail. So on every play that is not a big gainer or has positive yardage, you really have to dive in and look. There's probably some positive things going on. Not everything is negative. So I started doing that back in 2012, 2013, and then kind of took a break from social media for a few months. And then, you know, kind of resurfaced and started doing that. And then Lyman Lunch blew up. I mean, Matt came out with great tape. At the time, I believe he was at Tulane um, as the uh, assistant offensive line coach. And all of a sudden, I started seeing these Lyman Lunch clips. And then all of a sudden, the Lyman Lunch clips, uh, the Lyman Lunch account would uh, retweet some of the stuff I put out, you know, because I was very big into, you know, here's a clip. This is what I'm seeing. Here's the what, why, and how of it. Uh, this is how it applies, you know. And I and I didn't mind going toe-to-toe with, with uh, you know, with those who had naysayers of offensive line play. So me and Matt kind of develop a relationship, and now we're actually buddies. Um, we talk very often. Um, we met a couple of years ago at the uh, NSCA, um, or AFCA, actually, uh, National Coaches Convention, and uh, we've been buddies ever since. Uh, he's doing a very good job down at, uh, I believe he's at Texas uh Texas State now, Texas Southern. Yeah, that's right. I, I actually I had Matt Jones on for an interview, and he spoke very highly of you. Um, you're also there's kind of like a, a trio of guys I've noticed. It's it's Lyman Lunch, which is Matt, yourself, and then um, Jeff Schwartz, who I actually had an interview with about half an hour ago. Um, okay. And you kind of you feel like I've got, you've got this little empire building where you all kind of help each other and share with each other, but you all have very similar passions for offensive line play and, and the way it's all put together. Is is because I'm I'm a bit the same. I have this real brain. I love watching the way things are meant to be blocked. And you know, as you mentioned, not every play you can have a, a running back run for an 80 yard touchdown, and four of your five offensive linemen have made terrible blocks. And I think that's sure. the hardest yeah. thing about offensive line as a player and a coach is trying to make them understand that just because the play is successful or not successful doesn't mean that you were poor on the play. It's about getting your technique perfect absolutely and you know a prime example this is uh just the other day uh what was it the detroit lions played the new york jets i believe and you know they had full slide protection to the left side uh out of empty and the running back was supposed to be the hot read 
Now, all of a sudden, I remember watching that play live and the quarterback getting smoked. It's just absolutely decapitated. And everybody called for the offensive line. Oh, offensive line, you can't, you can't have guys running free. Well, what ended up happening on that is you can't – it's not the back's responsibility to be checked in, uh, you know, to, to protect that, that guy that's coming free. What should have happened was that uh, the quarterback should have beat the hot or what we call replace. You replace where the pressure is coming from with – uh, would have been the running back swinging. So uh, what it was there is the quarterback not understanding what his protection is picking up and what it's not. And so that's not on the offensive alignment. But, uh, you know, social media has created uh, this uh, instantaneous uh, feedback and evaluation, and everybody's an expert now. And so all of a sudden when a quarterback gets decapitated like that, it's the offensive alliance ball before a replay can even be put on. So – uh, that's just kind of one of the biggest things with offensive line play and anything really uh, when it comes to evaluation and making an opinion and having an opinion is the context around it. I mean, context is king and, de- and it really determines uh, what it all means. And it, it's very similar to the situation in the Super Bowl with Atlanta where the game really turned on the on the fumble that Matt Ryan had that Hightower hit him. It was a similar thing. Everyone blamed Matt Ryan, um, blamed the offensive line and the running back for not picking up the protection, but the running back was never meant to. He was meant to run his route, and if the linebacker blitzed, then Matt Ryan drops it off to the hot. And people think, oh, you know, that, oh, that, that's all the offensive line. That running back should have picked up that guy. That's not the design of the play. It was Matt Ryan being greedy, trying to get the big play down the field, where really, if he dropped it off to Freeman, he would have had a 20 or 30-yard game because no one had covered him. And uh, you're right, the, the social media creates all these experts and that, that was a massive turning point in that game from just such a simple read. And he would have ran that play 30 times that year and ran it right every single time. But the one time he didn't, because he got greedy and wanted the big play, it, it hurt them and was a big reason why that Super Bowl, why they lost that Super Bowl. Absolutely. Interesting enough, here's another little wrinkle that a lot of people don't know about. So that I know exactly what play you're talking about, and that was a sort uh, a five man sort protection. And the the thing is, is in most sort protections, the back would be responsible for that. But guess what? In Kyle Shanahan's offense, the back never pushes past you know number two most dangerous man. So it wasn't his responsibility. So you're absolutely right. It was it was a, a situation of Matt Ryan being greedy and people not understanding at home exactly what the protection is and then what the nuances of the protection. Because you may know what a protection is called, but there's certain wrinkles that teams put in that only you know guys in the room really understand. So you're absolutely right. I'm glad you actually highlighted that play as uh, being an example of what we're talking about here. Yeah, and I guess the, the last few questions I have for you, what sort of training techniques do you use? Um, is there anything specific you like to use? Is there, there one that you, you go to as your fallback? Oh, this is my, my no-brainer training ex- uh, technique I'm going to use. Is there anything in particular you can give to the guys who are going to listen to this to, to use to help improve people? Uh, you know, there's so much to it, to be honest with you. There's so much to it. Like I said, I don't have – I'm not a guy that is, you know, going to bring you in and train you like I trained Jeff Schwartz. Or, you know, like I trained Donald Penn. Each player is unique in terms of what they need and some of the deficiencies and imbalances they have. So based upon what I see is how we're going to attack uh, some of those imbalances. That being said, how I train guys, typically if we are working on a four or five week block, 
it's it's very specific. Again, there's a method to the madness in terms of starting off with volume accumulation and then moving into kind of standardized periodization in some aspects. Yet it's a mix between standardized periodization and then the conjugate method uh, first, uh, you know, made very popular by, you know, the, the Soviet Union um, back uh, you know, almost 40, 50 years ago, maybe even longer than that, uh, but now popular uh, because of West Side Barbell and Louis Simmons, who does a lot of uh, conjugate method. And then in terms of, I'm a huge proponent of using sled work um, as conditioning and restoration and uh, even ingraining movement patterns that you're going to see close to the offensive line. I'm very big on, you know, all the mobility uh, aspects of it. I'm very big in training in the positions and angles in which you're going to play um, offensive line. So, granted, we are going to squat. We are going to do some form of benching or pressing. We're going to do a ton of pulling. um, And we're going to do something that's going to allow us to reach triple extension, whether it's an Olympic lift or something with the sleds. But um, pretty much I, I use a lot of different methods. Uh, you know, like I said, there's a lot of different methods to the madness and the way I approach, but it's all based upon really uh, what said player needs uh, based upon that. And what do you find, like personally as, as a coach, I find the hardest thing for me to teach is the backside cutoff of a play with the way zone blockings run now. The, the most important blocks on a team, in my opinion, is the backside. And, uh, you know, a prime example is the Dallas Cowboys, obviously one of the top offensive lines in the NFL. Last year, they were way more successful running to the right side of the line than the, than the left side of the line. And people say, oh, well, but Tyrone Smith's on the left side. Why is <laughs> why are they way better? It's because when you're running to the right, Tyrone Smith is the back cutoff man. And he has the ability to go from a left tackle to cut off a three technique or potentially even getting across to scoop up on an inside of a of a head up on guard or even a one technique. If you have a guy that can do that, it completely opens up your, your running out yes. of the right. And that's why it's so important. Do you find that's hard to teach or what, what's the one thing that you find the hardest to get guys to understand? You know, that is, uh, that's very interesting. I, um, for instance, you know, Tyron and then Ronald Larry, who Ronald Larry, who also worked with me this summer, um, they did a really great job of, uh, you know, uh, cutting off the backside. And one of the big things that I try to, again, if we move past, you know, if there's no uh, imbalances or deficiencies that are keeping them from, you know, physically making this block, now we have to talk about targeting with our eyes, all right, and then reaching landmarks. And so I'm very big with, um, you know, on the, to execute the backside cutoff, really targeting past the guy you're trying to cut off. Because naturally, I give the example of a car. If I am driving a car, all right, and I'm going on a straightaway, and I all of a sudden I look to the left. The car is going to start to veer to the left. It's just how the body works. I mean, there, there's no way around it. So what I tell guys is we want to target just past the outside shoulder of the guy we're cutting off. And, of course, we want to open up the play side hip. We want to be able to drive off the backside foot. And then we want to understand that cut, getting the backside cut off, our mentality is that it's an entire – cross body block all right so we want to almost think that we want to get our backside shoulder down the midline at the very worst case scenario of the defender now we're going to do that by 
over-targeting with our eyes, like I said, about outside shoulder or a half yard outside of that defender. And now we, we have to run like hell to try to make up that ground and work that inline angle. But uh, there's a couple of different ways you can teach it uh, in terms of who you're playing against and uh, what the offensive lineman skill set is. But um, the biggest thing that I've learned is that don't be typecasted into, you know, this is how I want it done. The good coaches and the guys who develop say, let's take what you have and make it the most efficient. That way you have success on each and every play. And that's one thing that I learned when I was a college player is that the, the, the coaching cues that I responded best to didn't put me in a box. It actually allowed me to use what I have to win. And I've taken that same approach when I coached at the college level. Um, I've taken that same approach when I've gone now into the private sector and have trained these college and pro guys. And even with the high school guys, you see what these guys are good at and see the tools that they possess. And then you say, okay, let's tweak this just a little bit. So that way you consistently have success. And so that's kind of been my approach towards development. And I guess, yeah, the thing that I, I try to get guys to understand, which I'm sure you have the same difficulties is, when you're trying to reach that, that backside gap, that, that backside block, they try and square up the guy. And, and what they oh, have to no. understand is you, you want to get to his play side shoulder. And yep. if he cuts back backside of you, that's his decision. And he's just made your block easy for you. And I think Absolutely. that's the biggest thing that guys try and get to that, that eye-to-eye contact, you know, the, the play side eye on the, on, the, on the play side eye. But it's not what the backside's about. You're reaching to that play side shoulder, and then if you can't, you want to chop them down because in no way are you going to let them get that play side gap because then the play's done. There's nothing they can do, you can do about it. Absolutely. I mean, and you look in the NFL now, you know, I, I can remember at various points in high, in high school and college where the backside cutoff was taught to us just like the reach block where you take the 45-degree angle and you're really trying to square them up. That's just not realistic now. Defensive linemen are athletic as hell. They're long. They're rangy. And so you really have to open the play side hip and almost turn and run and really picture that it is a full body block. You're trying to get to the, the, the uh, play side shoulder. If we're targeting towards the play side shoulder and working an inline angle that keep us on that track, chances are we're going to end up midline and then be able to cut that guy off. But we have to over-target to even be in that position. If our targeting is down the midline to square the guy up, we're going to fall to the backside hip every time because that guy's going to be past us. Again, it's the analogy that I gave with the car. If I look to the left, all right, the car is going to go to the left. If I look, you know, over to the right, the car is going to veer to the right. If I look straight ahead, I'm going to stay straight ahead. That's just how the body works. So I have to know that, that you know, the perceived depth perception or, uh, you know, cross-depth perception um, is very vital. So targeting with the eyes and then working the inline angle and uh, reaching landmarks are important. Yeah, exactly. Look, but before we finish up, Duke, let us know where everyone can find you. I certainly know, but where everyone can find your stuff and watch all your videos. Absolutely. I just started a professional uh, Facebook page, and it's Duke Manyweather uh, uh, Scouting and Development Consulting, Offensive Line Scouting and Development Consulting. Go ahead and give me a uh, like and follow on there. Um, I'll be posting great content all season. Uh, we have the Joe Moore Award stuff coming up, and I'm a part of that committee, so that'll be coming up. Uh, also, you can find me on Twitter, at BigDuke50. Um, I'm always 
tweeting offensive line or training uh, stuff on there as well. You can you follow me on Instagram, and it's at the Big Duke Fifty. Again, um, sometimes there's different content from my Twitter and my Facebook page on there, and then I have a YouTube channel, which is just simply Big Duke Fifty, where there's over a hundred and twenty offensive line teaching clips where there's uh, description in the description there's uh, the coaching cues and and things that you can implement uh, a lot of great videos there um, that, that are very uh, you know very uh, I, I think very valuable assets uh, and very valuable resources I should say um, also on my YouTube channel you can find a lot of uh, training weightlifting and strength and conditioning uh, type videos as well Duke, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I'll certainly be keeping in touch with you. As I said, I, I could talk to you all day about this sort of stuff, but we'll have to cut it off there. But um, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And everyone, head over to his pages. If you're someone who loves offensive line play, trust me, you will want to see this stuff. Um, Lyman Lunch, Jeff Schwartz, Duke Manyweather. Get over to these three guys because what they're doing for the offensive line play, I, I think is... It's never been done before, and it's about time there's a bit of hype created around offensive line. I'm, I'm sure you'd agree, Duke. Absolutely. You can also check out uh, the Block 'em Up podcast with me and my buddy Jeff Schwartz. Here, I don't know if you knew this. Me and Jeff played together in high school. I didn't know that. That that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. So we're, we're, where, where where did you grow up? Where was what high school was it? We grew up in Southern California. Okay, and but you're based out of Texas now, yeah. Yeah, I live in Texas now. Yeah, it's a, it's a good place to live. Are you a Cowboys fan? Uh, I'm not really a fan of anybody. You You're know? a Cowboys I mean, offensive I line fan, I bet. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, I've worked with some of those guys. So, I'm definitely, I always root for the guys that I work with. And I, I root for good offensive linemen, too. I mean, I've worked with another 40 to 50 guys when I was at offensive line performance. So, I still keep track of those guys and uh, love seeing their success and what, what Charles is doing with them. Beautiful. Duke, thank you very much for joining us, mate. We really appreciate it. Dave, thanks for having me, buddy. Anytime. And that's all we have time for. Uh, We've wrapped it up with those three guys. Guys, get onto all their pages and like them. Lineman Lunch. Follow Jeff Schwartz. He did say his Twitter and that at the end of the interview. And get on Duke Mannyweather. Watch their videos. If you're into offensive line as much as I am, they are a no-brainer. Get around it and, you know, keep 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 believing offensive line stuff, guys. We are a very big part of the game. So if you're that sort of guy like I am, um, there's nothing to be ashamed of and, and, and keep enjoying it. And, and thanks for listening, guys.